It's great to be here with you this morning. It's great to be worshiping with you. And once again, we got a couple inches of snow for you. So there you go. Right? It's crazy, isn't it? Pretty much every Sunday seems like it's snow Sunday nowadays. And God knows exactly what he's doing. So we'll trust in that. At least we didn't get what they got up north. I, my parents are living up in the Chicagoland area and they were talking about 12 to 14 inches up there. So uh, nice to have just a couple of inches of dusting down here and being able to continue with life as we move. Man, we are in a series called Satisfied. Satisfied. And we're talking about what it means to face the day's journey, what it means to take on the struggles or the heartaches, what it means to take on the hits and the challenges and to continue with your God fully satisfied. And that's the goal that our hearts are completely set on worshiping him and it doesn't matter what's going on in the circumstances around us, we are ready to make much of our king. And all of God's people said, satisfied. It's an art and it's a skill and a talent. And I'm telling you, it takes a lot to be able to focus on the right things and to be able to walk daily in a way where God can be made much of, all right? No matter what's going on, no matter what's taking place, I will be satisfied. And uh, So today we're talking about pure devotion. No matter what things are being uh, spoken to me, no matter how my thoughts are being played with, how can I remain purely devoted to my God? No matter what's going on around me with the whispers that are wrong, how can I remain attached to him, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life? How do we do that? All right, so here we go. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 1. 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 1. And uh, first step in pure devotion, stand unwaveringly with your God and his revealed truth. Stand unwaveringly with your God and his revealed truth. Hang with your God and do not move, all right? Paul starts out here, uh, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. And we'll just hold there for a moment. Remember, Paul's starting out, he's coming from chapter 10, and he's talking about some false accusations that have been going down and some false teachers that have been stirring up the church at Corinth. Paul is at a distance, and he's writing a letter in, and he's been giving some clarity along the way to some things, and now he starts out in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. He's like, hang on, I'm going to walk through some things here that I want you to hear, and, and you might even at first say, this is foolishness, this is unnecessary, but bear with me, I want to walk through this, and I want you to grasp this, do bear with me. And so as Paul's putting this in the letter, he's getting a little real with them, he's like, I know, I know, I know what you're thinking, hang on, right, bear with me, be patient as we walk through this, and I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. A divine jealousy. Now, last week we heard the word boast, and we learned about how it isn't necessarily always just sin, boasting. We can boast in the Lord. We can celebrate Him and all that He is. It depends what our celebration is about, and the more it's just all about me and myself and my awesomeness in this world, the more that's wrong. And the more it is all about my God and his greatness, the more that's right. And so boasting is biblical as long as it's in the Lord. Everybody say, boast in the Lord. 
And that's what we're to be about. That was last week's. This week, he's now like, let's talk about this other word, jealousy, right? And we hear that word and we're like, yeah, that's not a cool word either. Like jealousy. We typically, when we hear it, we're like, that's something you're not supposed to be. It somehow gets a hold of your soul. It messes you up. It it messes up relationships and uh, we should avoid it. And some of that is true, depending on what the drive behind the jealousy is. So notice he puts one word in front of the word jealousy. He says it's a divine jealousy. Did you know that God is a jealous God? He loves you and he's passionate about your coming alongside of him. He's passionate about him being able to pour into your life. He's super hungry to be able to make much of himself while he lifts us up. He grows us one degree of glory at a time and I'm telling you, God will hold on. And when we start talking about eternally secure, right, we talked about that in the last sermon series that we walked through, and man, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There is nothing that can. And I'm I'm telling you, this is absolutely important and essential that we get. God does have a very jealous love, a very passionate love, a very sinless jealousy, a concern for the best for the other party and a longing for the best to go on in them, and a hunger to come alongside and be a part of that. And, and this divine jealousy, it's sinless jealousy. And so we usually only know the type of jealousy that is uh, deeply sinful, and it's all about me. And I start getting all amped up about what's going on with someone else because I'm actually afraid of what it's going to do to me, what it could steal from me. And I'm all about me in the midst of that and the fears of it. That's not what this is at all. This is actually a passion for God's glory to be revealed and a hunger for the best for that person. It's defense and protection in many regards, and it's super divine. Okay, he's like, I have a divine jealousy for you. And he has a metaphor here. Everybody just say, this is a metaphor. Otherwise, you're going to get very confused in just a second, right? He says, since I betrothed you to one husband, just so you know, he did not go into the church at Corinth and get each and every one of them married. Okay, that's not what's going on here. This is actually all about them and their faith with Jesus Christ. And he's like, since I betrothed you to one husband, since I was able to step in like a father and I was able to take the church in Corinth like the bride, the church in Corinth is the bride. Everybody say the church is the bride. And on the other side, the groom is Jesus Christ. And I was able to introduce the two together. And so I have the groom is Jesus Christ. Everybody say the groom is Jesus Christ. So we have the groom, Jesus Christ, and we have the church, the bride, and Paul's standing in the middle like the father, and he's introducing and bringing these two together, and he's putting them into a betrothal relationship. Really important we understand that word. That word in the Jewish culture, it's sort of like our word engagement, but it's a lot more intense, okay? It's sort of like engaged, and it it means that there's this commitment to one another before the marriage, but it actually is almost like married. There's so much that's true there. They're not sharing in the physical intimacy yet in a marriage that's in betrothal, but they are working through the other pieces of things and they are fully committed to each other. And this betrothal, it usually lasts somewhere around a year 
and this betrothal duration is all about you're on your way to marriage, but you're not married yet. Get this, man. We, the church, saved with Jesus Christ. We are in the betrothal period. It's like an engagement. It's like this long-standing period before the marriage. And I'm telling you, there's a point that will be coming when Jesus Christ returns, Revelation 19, thundering forth and taking charge. And in that moment, there's this marriage feast of the Lamb taking place as well. This massive celebration of the marriage that will come. And get this, man, the church is the bride. Everybody say, the church is the bride. So if you have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, if you believe that he is risen and you confess him as Lord, you are the bride betrothed to Jesus Christ. Amen, man. And you are on your way to an awesome wedding day. Man, I'm telling you, this means a lot more to us with my daughter getting married in three weeks. And uh, three weeks, it's coming up fast. And I start thinking of what it means to be able to be walking my daughter down the aisle and get this man This is God the Father walking the church down the aisle to present to Jesus Christ for all of eternity. He will be King of kings and Lord of lords in charge forever. And the whole thing we walk through of marriage, it's a model and a type of a relationship that we will have with Jesus Christ forever. You getting that? It is to represent the greatness and the depth of our relationship with our God. And uh, man, you heard a little bit about this uh, marriage thing we have coming up in a couple weeks, this class. And I, I would just say, if you're in a uh, situation in your marriage that, that really could use a little bit of addressing, man, get into the sharpening your marriage class. Get to be a part of that. Make sure that your marriage is beginning to model more and more, little by little, right? None of us is per- Everybody say nobody's perfect. But we need to be growing in our relationship with one another and with our God and having your marriage being worked on, huge deal. Make sure you get in that if your marriage needs to be there. Our marriages more and more need to be modeling the relationship we can have with our God, okay? And uh, what a huge deal for that. And I'm just telling you this statement where he's like, I have betrothed you to one husband, He's like, I have taken the church, the bride, to the one husband, Jesus Christ. I've connected them together, and they're on their way to a marriage feast in this betrothal period. A serious form of engagement uh, has the same rules attached to it of marriage. There should be no uh, affair. There should be no being with someone else physically, intimately. And uh, you're committed to this one person. He says, so since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ, I've handed you over saying you are ready to be married to this one. And, and uh, he then says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve in his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray. You see, in our relationship with Jesus Christ, in our faith and in our thoughts and in our actions, he's like equating the physical affair in a marriage to us walking away and saying, I no longer trust in God. I don't want to hear about him and I'm thinking differently than him. I'm walking away from the thoughts of Jesus Christ. And he's like, man, I don't want to see that happen. In fact, he actually says here, uh, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, uh, by his cunning, Eve was actually deceived. She actually didn't get it. 
and, and got twisted up in it. And it's super important we understand that Satan loves to use cunning. And so I just wrote this down, uh, three things that Satan does when he is using his cunning. Okay, three things that Satan is doing, three steps for Satan's cunning. Here we go. Number one, he questions God's word, and he'll get you to question God's word. He questions God's word. Is that really what he meant? I mean, come on, does that even make sense? Right, think about Eve, and he's talking to Eve, and he's like, come on, you're not really going to die? Really? Question God's word. That can't really be what God wants. That really, like that's one of the cunning steps. Step two, twist God's word. Twist God's word. And uh, Whether he's doing the twisting or getting us to twist it, right? Remember, Eve actually said, I'm not supposed to eat of the fruit. I'm not even supposed to touch it. In fact, it didn't say that. That's never recorded anywhere. Eve sort of made up the extra rule. I don't know if that was her and Adam talking. And he's like, I don't know, dude, just don't even touch it. Like, who knows where that came from? But all of a sudden, there's the extra rule. And we have to be super careful with adding the extras to Scripture and making that equal to Scripture. And and then even twisting Scripture when, like, say, Satan's talking to uh, Jesus and he's tempting him. And he's like, why don't you just throw yourself off? The angels are supposed to be saving you anyway. Come on. Let's go, do it. And and Jesus is recognizing that this isn't the right time or the right place. It's a twisting of God's word and trying to get him to do something that is against what the Father is trying to accomplish. And, And Satan uses the twisting of the word. So he questions the word, he twists the word. And then the third thing is he appeals to your pride. He appeals to your pride come on, man, you know you deserve this. Come on, you know that they shouldn't have done that to you. You know this isn't right. You should be able to. And those whispers from the pit of hell that question God's word, that twist God's word, and that appeal to your pride. And they start us taking a little bit of a veering left, and we head the wrong direction. Be careful that you don't listen to Satan's cunning. And all of God's people said, may we know God's word, may we stay true to God's word, and may we be low on the pride response moments. May God get all the glory. And he says, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Your thoughts will be led astray. How you think is super important. Did you know that? It's not just what you do, how you think. I'm telling you, we say uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, I'm just telling you out of the abundance of the heart, the brain begins to think. And you begin to spin on thoughts. You begin to contemplate different things about God, about people, about what you should have. And you start to see things through that angle. And your thoughts literally start to direct the next things you jump into. Be careful. Your thoughts are super important. 
In Philippians chapter 4, it talks about capturing those thoughts and making sure that those thoughts are thinking on whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and worthy of praise. Man, it brings a peace to the soul. It directs you with your God. It keeps you in alignment with Him and being able to see what God is doing in this world and then keeping your thoughts locked on Him. Super important. Your thoughts are a huge deal. And uh, in psychology, they call it self-talk. How's your self-talk? Is your self-talk talking you out of worshiping God or in? Are you questioning things? Are you like, I don't know if God's really, I don't know if he's really in this with me. I don't know if he's really helping me with this. I don't know. It seems like I'm all alone on this. This isn't working. And is that where you're at? I'm just telling you, you're hearing the whisper from the pit of hell. Question God's word, twist God's word, and appeal to the pride. Be careful, man. May you lean on your God and trust in your God. And when things seem their most dire, trust me, God is most at work. He is doing something in your life, and God has a plan. And all of God's people said, huge deal, man. Listen to your God. Trust in your God. Keep your thoughts rocking in worship with your God. And don't get dragged off. All right? That's the first piece here. He's like, make sure that your thoughts are not led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's where we got the title for the sermon today. From a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Man, wouldn't it be great if every day that we lived life, our worship was actually defined as sincere and pure devotion. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, like the real, wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. Right? The reality is we start walking through it and we're like, I've got kind of a muddy sort of devotion. That's sort of where I'm at. Like, and, and if things get really hard, I really start questioning stuff and I really start getting depressed about things and I really start shaking my fist at God, maybe privately, maybe publicly, and sincere and pure devotion. Going after your God with all you've got. Nothing in the way. What a huge privilege we have to know our God. May we truly follow after him. It says, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily. He's like, let me give you three examples. Man, if you go after another Jesus or a different spirit, right, or a different gospel, if any one of these is changing, man, we got a problem with your thought life and your pure devotion. Another Jesus. Are you kidding me? There is one way, one truth, one life, and that is Jesus Christ, him alone. He is our hope. There is no other. If someone comes in and they're like, I don't know, man, that seems kind of narrow-minded, I mean, you know, if you're giving it a shot, and maybe it isn't Jesus, maybe it, it's, but you're trying, and, and so maybe it should be the eh, wrong answer. Jesus alone. That's it, man. We believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of this world. Why? Because that is what God has told us, and we will trust in him alone. Amen, man. That is huge. There is no other Jesus. Everybody say, there's no other and may we live that and believe that with all we've got. This church was actually being told, 
I don't know, maybe there are other opportunities. And they were buying in. No other Jesus, no other spirit. The Holy Spirit, we're told, comes into this world. He takes up residence within our soul. He literally begins to lead and guide. He is transforming you from one degree of glory to the next. His glory changes. His whisper into your soul leads and guides. He convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. We have the Holy Spirit with us. Jesus Christ said, as I ascend up and go away, the Holy Spirit will be sent to be your comforter daily, regularly, always. Man, are you living with the Holy Spirit working in you? I'm telling you, I grew up in a very traditional church, and uh, so we talked a lot about Jesus, and we talked a lot about the Father, and we talked a lot about heaven, but we didn't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, and we were sort of avoiding some things going on in the culture at that time, and I'm just saying that's a huge crying shame. The Holy Spirit, a massive truth that God Almighty the third person of the Trinity, the person of God revealed out in the Holy Spirit as he works in our souls. Man, as he leads us, as he guides us, as he convicts us, as he transforms us, are you missing out on the power of walking with him? Are you living this life of Christianity and you're like, I don't get it, man. No transformation happening in my life. Dude, I'm telling you, you're missing out on the walk with the Holy Spirit. You are not having him transform you deeply. You are not walking with him personally. You're not letting him shape you. When he convicts of sin, you're trying to ignore it. It's time to start listening. It's time to start listening. And there is no other spirit, man. There is no other whispering. There is no other shaping. There is no other changing. The Holy Spirit alone. And all of God's people said. And he's like, that's it. It is... Uh, there is no other Jesus, there is no other spirit, and there is no different gospel. Him for me. It is not, I will work hard enough and that will be good enough. And I already say that's a terrible plan. Right? And the world is trying to come up with any alternative to the gospel message they can. And I don't know, I, th I think if you work hard enough, that is good enough. Or maybe we'll come back and replace the Jesus piece. I think whatever you try... Just give it a shot, whoever you believe in, or the gospel message the world wants to bring is your good enough. And I'm just telling you the truth of Scripture is we have come up short and we need a Savior. And we need to set down our pride and we need to pick up our King and we need to celebrate Him with all we've got. The gospel message is simple. I cannot do it on my own. I need a Savior. I'm trusting and believing in Him. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead? And do you confess him as in charge in your life? Lord, take over. I I'm done fighting. And that's the gospel message, and there is no other. There were people walking into the church at Corinth, and they were saying this, I'm glad you're saved, but now it's all about works. And you're going to add some righteous works to your stuff and we're going to see what happens. You're going to try to amend things in different ways. And, and they were trying to pull away from Jesus Christ and the changing of the Holy Spirit and the power of what God was doing. And they were calling towards themselves. They were wolves in sheep's clothing. They were false prophets. And they were tearing down the church. And Paul's like, forget it, man. You want the acid test? 
Are they talking about one Jesus, Jesus Christ? Are they recognizing the power of the Holy Spirit and the work he's doing in our life and in this world? And do they grasp the one gospel, him for me, Jesus Christ? Man, if they get this, now we're getting somewhere, all right? What a huge deal. I'll just tell you this three-part challenge is huge and it just answers three simple questions. Who is my savior? And the answer to that question is, Jesus Christ, who is my Savior? Jesus Christ. And who is the one who transforms and leads? And the answer is the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit. And so as the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding and transforming, God, may you work in my life. Man, become open to what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. And then lastly, and how am I saved? In this gospel message, it is by faith and not by works. It is by faith and not by works. And man, if those things are locked down, you are absolutely anchored in with the good news of Jesus Christ. And our minds and our thoughts are not being dragged off. He says, but you put up with it readily enough. I love that phrase. You put up with it readily enough. Some guy comes in and he's like, hey, you know what I was thinking? And they were like, no, what were you thinking? And he's like, I was thinking... Maybe this Jesus thing is a little overblown. Really, tell me more about that. Really open to the conversation. Where it should have gone more like this. Hey, you know what I was thinking? Oh, brother. No, what were you thinking? Right, I was thinking this Jesus thing may be overblown. Yeah, dude, I'm done talking now. Like, that's it. That's over the line, and I mean right now. Like, if you want to wrestle through and you got a few questions for me, that's great. But I'm not listening to that rhetoric and going down that path. I will not go there. And are you ready to say, I take a stand for Jesus Christ and I'm not moving off of it? I'm just not moving. Like it's one thing if you're talking to somebody that is wrestling themselves with it, but now you're helping them to see where you're anchored in. Do not have them call you down their path. You're calling them to meet your Savior. And all of God's people said, okay, huge deal. He says, you put up with it readily enough. What he's basically saying is, please knock it off, right? Time to get anchored in with Jesus Christ. He says, indeed, I consider that I am not the least uh, inferior to these super apostles. So for those of you who love sarcasm, uh, this is probably one of those examples you could use in Scripture, all right? And Paul, I'm going to say it the way probably, probably, I wasn't there. Everybody say Tim wasn't there. But probably this is how he said it. All right? He's like, I am not the least inferior to one of those super apostles. Most likely, that's how he said it. Hands in the air, kind of super apostle. If your head isn't wagging, you ain't saying it right. right? That's kind of how it's going down. Super apostles. Why is he saying that? Because somehow, these guys are declaring that they have more authority than the apostles themselves. They're like, that Paul apostle guy? Nope. More power than him, more authority than him. Listen to me. Oh, you're like Mr. Super Apostle over there, huh? And make sure you get, this is one of those examples of sarcasm. So if you love sarcasm, I would probably say, um, A, love it a little less because sarcasm can have a tendency to hurt. But if you love sarcasm, yes, you do have scriptural point where it does get used. So if you happen to have something on your desk that says, I speak fluent sarcasm, then you are my wife. <laughs> I just said it, I saw it this morning. I thought it was hilarious when I was walking in to drop my coat off. I'm like, I got to mention that. I'll just say something. So 
Uh, sarcasm. It, it is a useful form of humor sometimes, and, and then sometimes it's not. And, uh, and I've said enough on sarcasm, and all of God's people said, all right. So, <laughs> uh, welcome to our home. Um, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. And uh, remember, the attack last week was, um, you are short and you speak terribly. Remember that? All right. He's like, who is this guy who writes so boldly? Well, but he's really got no physical stature. He's weak. He's, he's short. And, 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 and he really doesn't speak well at all. All right. Paul's kind of getting back to that now. And he's like, all right, fine. So I don't speak well. Just so you know, he says, I am unskilled in speaking. Paul admitted that right here. And so Paul was a great um, writer. And Paul was a great thinker. And apparently Paul wasn't the most dynamic speaker. But he's like, yeah, but that is not true of my knowledge. And remember, he was a Pharisee. He had a ton of information. He had a ton of knowledge of Old Testament and his God. He was revealed a ton by God. Paul had a depth of understanding that we could only dream of having a taste of. Paul definitely had it going on. In the realm of authority, God treated him as an apostle and gave him a ton of wisdom and knowledge. And he's like, I'm telling you, I'm not lacking it in knowledge. So even if I lack it in the skill to speak, I'm certainly not lacking it in what I know. In every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. In every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. And uh, again, uh, getting extremely forceful with the wording and saying, I need you to grasp this. Um, I absolutely know what I'm talking about. You really do need to trust me. I'm leading you down a path to worship your God. Hang in there. Hang in there. May God get all the glory. Unwavering in your following of your God and you're taking a stand for him. Okay? All right. So it's, uh, it's the 2018 Winter Olympics and uh, started Thursday night officially, I guess. There was actually a few things that went on Thursday night and then they had the uh, big celebration on Friday night. And uh, we had North Korea and South Korea walking in together as one Korea. And there were some big things that went on in the Winter Olympics. Uh, another big thing, it is really cold there. Like, I don't know if you knew that, but it is like sub-zero. This is the coldest Olympics they've had in some 20-plus years. Like going back to the early 90s or even into the 80s. And super, super cold. And with wind chills, way sub-zero. And uh, very cold. To the point where they said some of the skiers, like when they went down skiing, when they would get done, it was so cold that the skis had literally warped in the cold and were ready to snap. And as they took them back into warm weather, into the in, inside of a room or whatever, the things would literally start to fracture. And they would just have to pitch their skis and go get another set of skis for the next run. Like, cold, man. Very, very cold. And, and some of the people that were being talked to were like, do you remember the past several Winter Olympics where it was like in the 40s and it was so nice and warm? And, and they're talking about how... Uh, how much they appreciated the warm weather of the Winter Olympics. Think about that ironic moment for a second, right? And uh, one of them, uh, Ida Sargent, a cross-country skier for the U.S., said, It is fun to embrace winter. 
and to remember that we are winter sports athletes. This cold will not stop me. And I want to tell you, man, that's not necessarily the typical thought of those competing out there in the cold. And she's like, we are winter sports athletes. Expect the winter in the winter sports. We're going to go after it. And I'm telling you this, we are warriors in a battle fighting for the glory of Jesus Christ. Expect some battle. We are going to go through some brokenness in this broken world. We are on a journey in this broken world. Do not let your stand waver. And all of God's people said, man, do not let the speak from Satan whisper in and drag you apart. Do not let the whisper that causes you to doubt God be listened to. Hear me, man. The pride of self will drag us down. But the desire for our God to be glorified will keep us anchored correctly for a lifetime here on earth and for eternity beyond. And all of God's people said, so how are you doing in this broken world? How are you doing taking a stand against the whisper and the cunning, against the attack and the challenge? Are you holding in there? Are you in? Okay. Pure devotion. Number two, stay true to who you are in Christ. Stay true to who you are in Christ. He says, or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Again, if you want to talk a little bit of sarcasm, this is probably one of those ironic moments or sarcasm moments. He's like, are you going to call it sin when it was sacrifice? When it was meant to be able to lift you up? And uh, because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge, like, is there something wrong in that? Now, you have to know and understand that the attack coming from the outside was he's doing this for his own glory and attention, and he's doing this to make profit. And so the, the challenge was, you know, the, the apostle Paul is trying to get something from you. And so then he says, a little more depth of irony and maybe even sarcasm, how you want to label that. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. I robbed other churches. Now, when you hear the word robbed, you think, break in, break it open, steal it, take it for yourself, no permission, right? That's robbing. So he's like, I robbed. Why did he say that? Because the challenge was, he's stealing from you, he's taking from you. This is all about him and what he wants, and he's trying to get money from you and possessions and and privilege and pride and He's taking, and Paul's like, fine, I robbed. Now notice the next couple words. I robbed from them by accepting support. Do you hear the contradiction? That's, everybody say, that's not robbing. And now you've grasped sarcasm. When you say the opposite of what it is to try to make a point, right? And uh, I've robbed by accepting support. They offered it and Paul accepted it. These are the churches in Macedonia. And he says, in order to serve you. And again, you rob for selfish gain and here it's for their gain. And he's like, no, it's not really robbing at all. Right? And the attacks are ridiculous. He says, and when I was with you uh, and was in need, 
I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. He's like, just so you know, when I was in amongst Corinth, for whatever reason, Paul had the wisdom and the wherewithal to see that if he started to take from them while he helped them, it was going to go sideways over the course of time. Now, just so you know, when Jesus actually taught while he was here on earth, and when he taught his disciples to go teach and share the gospel, one of the rules of thumb was basically, when you're in a town, have that town care for you. And so they would stay in someone's house, they would eat with them and feed with them, they would maybe even have them uh, give them some new clothing or whatever, they may even give them a little bit of money on the way out. There was a care that took place there for them while they ended up sharing the gospel and Paul's like, not in this place. There was something different, we don't know what it was, but he was reading the lay of the land. And I'm just telling you, discernment is essential in doing ministry. Discernment is essential in doing ministry. I love serving with our board of elders. I love being able to walk through the depths of the problems that we have going on in this community and broader in this world that we get to be a part of. And I'm telling you, it's never accomplished just by having a set set of rules that you just do walk it down. It's always deep discernment. What's God doing? What's appropriate? Where should we be going? Where shouldn't we be going? And that takes some prayer and some thought and some eyes open and making sure we hear from each other. May God get all the glory. Discerning what's going on is essential. And Paul's like, we just, for whatever reason, we're pretty aware that we shouldn't be taking from anyone when we were in Corinth. And so the churches in Macedonia were kicking in from the outside, even in their poverty kicking in from the outside, and we were ending up caring for this church while we were here. And uh, he's like, just so we're super clear, we never took anything from you, even when we were deeply in need. He says, so I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Nope, we never took anything from you, and we never will. And uh, Paul was super aware of something going on, and it was all set up ahead of time by God being able to prepare him and being able to reveal it. And in his discernment, he was like, this would be a bad spot for you to have ended up taking anything from him. It'll be really hard to make it clear. Please make sure that you are always living life with discernment. Keep your eyes open to what God's doing and providing in your life, okay? As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. He's like, I'm telling you, it's not just going to stop in this little area. I'm going to make much of what God's doing in that, and I'm going to tell everyone what he's doing in this church and beyond, and I'm going to tell it everywhere. And he says, and why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. Right? There's been some pretty rough attack, and Paul's laying it down very clearly, super clearly. I'm standing true to what is going on. I will not move off of what I've claimed. And the things I've discerned, I'm going to continue with. May God get all the glory. Man, as he is sharing the faith and the truth of Jesus Christ, there are some who are coming against. Let me just ask, Are you sharing the truth of Jesus Christ with a friend or a family member or a neighbor or a coworker? And it's getting a little messy. It's getting a little confusing. Maybe they're not quite getting where you stand. Or maybe you're like, I wish I were sharing more and now is the time to take the bigger stand. Man, may we see what Paul is saying here to stay true 
to Jesus Christ. To be willing to share. And then as we share, to take that stand and do not move. May God get all the glory. May this world recognize that we take Jesus Christ as King of Kings seriously. Man, hear me. Jesus Christ, he is the creator of the world. He started it and put it in motion. But as Paul says here, by believing in him, by confessing him as Lord, we literally are now declared betrothed. We are on our way to something glorious and something eternal. And in this world, while it is broken, he gives us a chance to share and take a stand. Are you ready to take the stand with pure devotion? Nothing wavering. God gets the glory. As people challenge in and say, dude, I think that's really narrow-minded, your position on Jesus Christ. Here's the answer. You ready? This is the right answer. Yeah, it is, it is a little bit. That's a little narrow-minded. If by wide-minded you mean accepting of any idea anywhere, this is definitely narrow-minded. I'm telling you this. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, a truth, and a life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And I will stand with him. And all of God's people said, take your stand in this broken world. Gently, respectfully, but take your stand. And do not waver. May God get all the glory. 